Welcome, everyone. This is Skip Miller, Vice President of Investor Relations at ASML. Joining me today on the call are ASML CEO, Peter Winnick, and our CFO, Roger Dawson. The subject of today's call is ASML's 2023 third quarter results. The length of this call will be 60 minutes and questions will be taken in the order that they are received. This call is also being broadcast live over the internet at asml.com. A transcript of management's opening remarks and a replay of the call will be available on our website shortly following the conclusion of this call. Before we begin, I'd like to caution listeners that comments made by management during this conference call will include forward-looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities laws. These forward-looking statements involve material risks and uncertainties. For a discussion of risk factors, I encourage you to review the safe harbor statement contained in today's press release and the presentation found on our website at asml.com and in ASML's annual report on Form 20F and other documents as filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Peter Winnick for a brief introduction. Thank you, Skip. Um, welcome to everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for our third quarter 2023 results conference call. Before we begin the Q&A session, uh, Roger and I would like to provide an overview and some commentary on the third quarter 2023, as well as provide our view of the coming quarters. Uh, Roger will start with a review of our third quarter 2023 financial performance with added comments on our short-term outlook, and I will complete the introduction with some additional comments on the current business environment and our future business outlook. Roger, if you will. Thank you, Peter, and welcome, everyone. I will first review the third quarter financial accomplishments and then provide guidance in the fourth quarter of 2023. Let me start with our third quarter accomplishments. Net sales came in at 6.7 billion euros, which is around the midpoint of our guidance. We shipped 10 EUV systems and recognized 1.9 billion euros revenue from 11 systems this quarter. Net system sales of 5.3 billion euros, which was mainly driven by logic at 76%, with the remaining 24% coming from memory. Installed base management sales for the quarter came in at 1.4 billion euros as guided. Gross margins for the quarter came in at 51.9%, which is above our guidance, primarily driven by DPV product mix, as well as some one-off cost effects. On operating expenses, R&D expenses came in at 992 million euros, and FG&A expenses came in at 288 million euros, both basically as guided. Net income in Q3 was 1.9 billion euros, representing 28.4% of net sales and resulting in an EPS of 4.81 euros. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the third quarter with cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments at a level of 5 billion euros. Moving to the order book, Q3 net system bookings came in at 2.6 billion euros, which is made up of 0.5 billion euros for EUV bookings and 2.1 billion euros for non-EUV bookings. These values also include inflation corrections. Net system bookings in the quarter were driven by logic with 80% of the bookings, while memory accounted for the remaining 20%. As expected, we did see some moderation in orders this quarter. As the industry is working through a cycle, customers remain cautious in the current environment managing cash flows, and delaying purchase orders. 
In addition, there were no high NA orders this quarter. While our bookings were lower than in previous quarters, our backlog at the end of Q3 remained strong at over 35 billion euros. With that, I would like to turn to our expectations for the fourth quarter of 2023. We expect Q4 net sales to be between 6.7 billion euros and 7.1 billion euros. We expect our Q4 install base management sales to be around 1.4 billion euros. Gross margin for Q4 is expected to be between 50 and 51%. The positive impact of higher sales volume is more than offset by the diluted impact from a change in DPV mix and one-off effects relative to last quarter. The expected R&D expenses for Q4 are around 1.03 billion euros and SG&A is expected to be around 285 million euros. Our estimated 2023 annualized effective tax rate is expected to be between 15% and 16%. An interim dividend of 1.45 euros per ordinary share will be made payable on November the 10th, 2023. In Q3 2023, we purchased shares for a total amount of around 100 million euros. As mentioned in previous quarters, in the current environment, we expect to see ongoing pressure on our free cash flow. As a result, we will be prudent in managing our cash flows and maintain relatively high levels of cash. With that, I would like to turn the call <coughs> over to Peter. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. And uh, I had a bit of a cold, so uh, apologies. Uh, as Roger has highlighted, uh, another good quarter, especially considering the current market environment. Uh, uncertainty remains in the market driven by global macro concerns around inflation, rising interest rates, lower GDP growth in certain economies, and the uh, geopolitical environment, including export controls. However, <coughs> um, the industry seems to be passing th through the cycle thrust. <coughs> there has been uh, some improvement in end market inventory levels downstream. So you have to get a bit of water. <clears throat> although, uh, um, <coughs> although inventory levels um, 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 upstream um, remain elevated. As a result, customers continue <coughs> to moderate waiver output by running at lower utilization levels. While lithography tool utilization are still running at levels lower than normal relative to last quarter, tool utilization in logic uh, continues <coughs> to show signs of improvement, while memory has yet to turn. We concur with our customers that still expect to see an inflection point indicating the start of a recovery by the end of the year, although the shape and slope of the recovery remains uncertain. Looking further ahead to 2025, we expect a significant growth here since more than 50% of our EUV and DPV shipments will go to new FAB projects. On top of this, we expect existing FABs will be adding capacity driven by a continued recovery cycle. Turning to our business, we now expect DPV revenue to grow towards 55% year over year, an increase from around 50% communicated last quarter, primarily driven by an increase in immersion revenue. China demand for DPV systems continues to be strong, a trend we talked about in previous quarters. For system shipments this year to Chinese customers, the majority of the orders were booked in 2022. 
the demand fill rate for our Chinese customers over the last two years was significantly less than 50%. So the Chinese customers were in fact receiving a much lower number of systems than they ordered. This was due to the fact that timing from other customers, that, uh, sorry, this was due to the, uh, and to the fact that the demand for our systems worldwide significantly exceeded supply. With current shifts in demand timing from other customers, we now have the opportunity to fulfill these orders to our Chinese customers. So supply is in fact catching up to demand and we're shipping lithography systems for mature and mid-critical nodes to China, while of course complying with export control regulations. If you combine this with the fact that other customers are delaying their demand, this means indeed a higher sales percentage from China that we, than we saw in previous years. In EUV for 2023, we continue to expect year-over-year -year revenue growth for EUV of around 25% as communicated last quarter. For the install-based business in 2023, the current utilization rates, market uncertainty, particularly as it relates to the timing of the recovery, customers continue to wait to perform productivity and performance upgrades on the lithium systems. Therefore, we now expect our install-based business this year to be down around 5% from last year, first the flat growth previously communicated. In summary, based on our full year, with higher DPV revenue, offset somewhat by lower expectations on our install-based business relative to last quarter, we still expect next sales for the year to grow towards 30%, with a slight improvement in gross margin compared to 2022. Overall, a very strong growth year, especially considering the industry being in the down cycle. On the geopolitical front, as it relates to export controls, the U.S. government yesterday published updated export control regulations. Part of the regulations is an update from last year's October communication, and part is the implementation of the U.S. regulation on the trilateral agreement between the Dutch, Japanese, and U.S. governments. Given the length of the document, we need to review the final regulation thoroughly and make a detailed analysis, which will take some time. But based on our preliminary assessment, we do not expect these measures to have a material effect on our financial outlook for 2023. The export control measures could have an impact on the regional split of our shipments in the medium to long term, but we do not expect an impact on the global demand scenarios as communicated during our investor day in November last year, since the long-term growth perspectives for our industry remains clearly unchanged. Looking towards the next year, the semiconductor industry is currently working through the bottom of the cycle, and our customers expect the inflection to be visible by the end of this year, as I mentioned before. Although there's an opportunity for some demand to be pulled back into the back half of uh, 2024, we currently prefer to take a more conservative view for the full year 2024, especially considering the inherent nature of the macroeconomic uncertainties. Therefore, based on our current view, we expect revenue next year to be similar to 2023. As such, we see 2024 as a transition year, but also as an important year to prepare for the significant growth that we expect in 2025. Now, based on discussions with our customers, we currently expect 2025 to be a strong year driven by a number of factors. First, the secular growth drivers in the semiconductor end markets, which we have previously discussed, such as energy transition, electrification, and AI. The expanding application space, along with increasing lithography on future technology nodes, drives demand for both advanced and mature nodes. Secondly, the industry expects to be in the middle of a cyclical upturn in 2025, starting in 2024. And lastly, as mentioned earlier, we need to prepare for the significant number of new fabs 
that are being built across the globe. These fabs are spread geographically, are strategic for our customers, and are scheduled to take our tools. It is essential that we keep our focus on the future and build capacity to be ready for this round. In summary, despite going through an industry down cycle, we still expect very strong growth in our business this year. And while there are still significant uncertainties, primarily driven by the macro environment, it appears that we're passing through the bottom of this specific cycle, and the shape of the recovery will ultimately determine the demand curve beyond 2023. In the near term, it's understandable that customers remain cautious as they moderate wafer output to help lower inventory levels in the supply chain and look to build confidence around the timing and slope of the recovery next year. In summary, we clearly view 2024 as a transition year as we, pre as we prepare for future growth and the expected strong year in 2025 and beyond. We remain confident that we're well positioned for further long-term growth as we discussed in the market scenarios for 2025 and 2030 during our Investor Day in November 2022. With that, we will be happy to take your questions. Thank you, Roger and Peter. The operator will instruct you momentarily on the protocol for the Q&A session. Beforehand, I'd like to ask you that you kindly, <clears throat> kindly limit yourself to one question with one short follow-up if necessary. This will allow us to get to as many callers as possible. Now, operator, could we have your final instructions and then the first question, please? Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 and 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. To withdraw your question, please press star 1 and 1 again. We will now go to the first question. And your first question comes from the line of Joe Quattrocci from Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking the questions. Uh, curious, uh, embedded in your expectation for, you know, a more muted kind of 2024, how do we think about the gross margin puts and takes just given there's several moving parts in terms of like mix and you guys are obviously increasing your manufacturing output uh, for later years and then, you know, I think there's some, some benefits from higher EU VASP, but at the same time, you're also going to start shipping the initial, you know, high NA uh, tools as well. Yeah, Joe, you're doing a very fine job in uh, in, uh, in in analyzing it all. Um, of, of course, you will appreciate that that we're not going to uh, give guidance on the you know quantitative guidance on the on the gross margin for 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 next uh, next year. But I, I can give you you know some of the uh, some of the drivers of the of the gross margin. And I think you mentioned a, a few of them, which are quite important. So I would say the 3800 uh, ASB is clearly one, right? So uh, you know 3800 is is going to be uh, you know, uh, an important part of the mix uh, in the, in the, in next uh, next year for for EUV. So obviously, as a higher uh, ASP, we talked about uh, more than 200 million uh, last on on the on the call last last quarter. Uh, so that comes with a higher ASP, but also drives uh, drives the gross margin. So that's an important driver. I think service on EUV is one where we say we continue to make progress on that one. So that's 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 another that's another positive. Um, I would say on the on the on the challenge side, so on the on the headwind that we're going to get in terms of gross margin for next year, it is as you said. Now, next year we are preparing um, uh, obviously for a, a big year uh, in 2025 because that's the way we look at it. As we also mentioned, uh, as, as Peter mentioned, and as we also said in the video, it's going to be a big year, and that, that means that uh, we're going to add you know quite some capacity to uh, to actually allow that to happen. So that's going to 
going to uh, have a, a headwind on the, on the gross margin because those people will have to be trained in 2024 uh, whilst primarily being productive only in 2025. And also on high NA. Uh, you know, the, the high NA numbers next year obviously are very, very small in terms of, uh, in terms of revenue and also output, but we are obviously preparing um, our workforce, both in the factory but also in the field, to accommodate, uh, you know, the 25 and beyond uh, ramp of high NA. So obviously that also, same story, a lot of people that will be added there will be a drag on the gross margin for, 20, for 2024. Uh, question mark obviously is in, is on the install base business. You know that can go positively, can can go negatively on the on the gross margin. Very much dependent on uh, on on how the uh, how the upgrade business will will come back in uh, in in uh, in twenty uh, in twenty twenty four. Uh, and then finally, um, you know, in light of you know all the puts and takes that that you might think of in terms of revenue, also in light of what was what Peter just said, the um, uh, the, the China uh, export controls. You could maybe see, um, you know, less immersion uh, tools uh, into into China, also less on the high end. So that could also be a, a bit of a headwind on uh, on on the gross margin. So that's uh, it, really, Joe. Those are all the puts and takes I would see today, um, and you know, in the Q1, uh, in the Q4 call, so in January of next year, uh, I think we have a much better handle on how those uh, all of those pan uh, pan out. Got it. Thanks for that. And then, as a follow-up. I uh, just wanted to, to reconfirm, for, for fast shipments, you're expecting still to, to exit this year in terms of revenue not recognized in the 2.3 billion euro range. And then does that get caught up next year as part of, you know, kind of a more muted growth that you're able to catch up to that demand? I think, Joe, part of it will, uh, the way we look at it today, but again, we will confirm that uh, in, in more detail in, in January. But the way we look at it today, we expect less fast shipments uh, by the end of 24 than we would have uh, by the end of 23. So there would be a positive effect from fast shipment uh, in, uh, in, in the number for, uh, for next year. Got it. And that $2.3 is still the right number exiting this year? The 2.3 billion is what we're currently driving towards. That's, that, that's what, uh, what we expect at this stage to, uh, to have shipments this year, not recognizing revenue this year, correct? Perfect, thank you. Thank you. We will now go to our next question. And the next question comes from the line of Chris Sanker from TD Cowan. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my question. I have two of them. When you look into calendar 24, how to think of, from a unit standpoint, EUV and DPUV, how do we look at units for EUV and DPUV in 2024 relative to 2023? Would they be up, down, similar? Any color that would be helpful? And then I'd have a follow up. Yeah, I think, you know, on the DPUV, I think Roger said it in the, in the, in the answer to the previous call. In the DPUV, of course, we've had a great year. Um, for China because we were basically uh, delivering out of the backlog. You know, these guys ordered and uh, the, the orders were there, they were prepaid, <clears throat> and we had the opportunity to uh, ship. I don't think that will repeat itself in that volume so much next year. Um, um, and on top of that, of course, there is a, um, a new export control regulation uh, that will um, uh, put, uh, let's say, a handful of uh, Chinese fabs uh, um, under the export control rules where we cannot ship, um, uh, you know, immersion tools. It's just a handful of, but it's, but it's still 
uh, you know, it, it is it is it is still you know sales that we had in uh, 2023 that we will not have in uh, 2024. So I think deep UV could see some a reduction uh, based on that. Now, if then uh, sales stay the same uh, or at a similar level, then EUV grows. Uh, but there, you know, what, what Roger also said uh, as an answer to the previous question. Um, we do expect that fast shipments um, going out of 2024 will be, uh, you know, lower. So there's going to be, you could say, a, a you know, accounting uh, windfall uh, on the, on the top line. Um, so I think all in all, uh, this is a bit of the picture. So uh, somewhat lower um, uh, DPUV units, uh, EUV units could be lower because of the fact that, uh, you know, we actually actually have. Although we could see revenue increase as a you know, result of the fast shipment move, uh, could indeed be also somewhat lower, but with higher uh, you know, sales prices. So, so this is um, uh, what the picture is for next year. Um, uh, now, like Roger also said, uh, probably uh, uh, January after the uh, fourth quarter results is probably the better time to go into a bit more detail. But uh, you know, directionally, that's, that's what you can expect. Got it, got it. That's very helpful, Peter. And then um, on China, I understand it was like 46% of sales last uh, last quarter. Probably averages around 30% for the full year. If you strip out the export control issues or the geopolitics, you know, a lot of these spending is on mature nodes. Kind of curious, how long do you think um, this level of spending is sustainable? Or do you think at some point there's going to be a natural consolidation or rationalization of this spending? Thank you. Yeah, I think... Um you have to you have to understand where these tools are being used for. You know, um, the 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 vast majority of our shipments to China is um, a bit mid critical to you know mature. And that's really where our business is. Um, uh, of, of course, like I said earlier, there's a handful of of uh, uh, you know fabs, not customers, fabs that have been identified as uh, 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 ready for advanced semiconductor manufacturing. So. Those will those are now excluded, but the vast majority is mid-critical to you know mature. Will that level off? I don't think so. And and why don't I think so? Because you need to realize where uh, those chips are being used for. I mean, China is by far uh, uh, over 50% of all worldwide investments in renewable energy uh, is in China. That's wind. That's solar. That's the, the build-out of the grid. The electrification, the, the build-up of the EV manufacturing capacity uh, in China is significant. Uh, industrial IoT is a significant driver. Um, next to that is also the, the you know the, the continuous telecommunications infrastructure rollout. That's all mid-critical, to mature stuff. And um, as it happens, you know, you know, China invests a lot there. It's a big country, well, 1.4 billion people. So there is a lot of uh, uh, you know, semiconductor need. And, and this is exactly when we look at the expansion plans of our Chinese customers, this is exactly what they, where they are putting their capacity uh, you know, at work in these areas. And if you look at the total consumption of semiconductors by the Chinese uh, um, manufacturing industry, then you know, China imports more semiconductors than they import oil. On top of that, you see this significant increase in these new transitions. That means that if China wants to wants to come to a certain level of self-sufficiency, yeah, they have still a huge gap uh, to cover to be completely self-sufficient. So it's also logical 
that they that they actually invest in this type of semiconductor technology because it's for internal use, and and I think so. It's it's I don't think we will see a a, a uh, you know peak uh, this year and actually, but I think there will be going forward a significant demand coming out of China for mid and mature technology, and for all the reasons that I just mentioned. Got it. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. We will now go to the next question. And your next question comes from the line of Alexander Peterek from Society General. Please go ahead. Um, yes. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking the question. Um, could you help us understand what is the percentage of shipments into China this year that would actually fall under the restrictions that will be in place for the 1st of January next year? That would be my first question. And then the, the follow-up, just very briefly, you could tell us how far out you're currently booked in EUV into 2024 or also in, in, in DPUV. Thank you. Okay, I'm just writing down. So on, on the, uh, you know, China question, what the percentage shipment this year um, that um, uh, is, is, is now excluded, it's anywhere between 10 and 15 percent. So the vast majority is is uh, is mature and mid-critical. Um, and I think, like I said in, in answer to the previous call, I think that is what 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 will basically re basically remain because of the build-out of that capacity is actually needed for all the for all the transitions that I just mentioned. Uh, so it's 10 to 15 percent. Thank you. And on the EV backlog, uh, I mean, we're currently looking at a backlog of around 19 billion for for EV. Um, uh, but of course, that is a combination of the shipments that we still have to go uh, this year, and then for 24 and, uh, and and 25. And by the way, it also includes includes high and A. So that that's uh, so you know there's a substantial part of the uh, the shipments that we envisage in uh, in 24 are included, but not everything. Uh, but a substantial part is covered by the uh, by the EUV backlog, as I just referenced it. Okay, great, thank you. It's just that 3,800 will be. So next year is all 3,800, right? No, no. Next next year will be will be a mix of 3,600 and 3,800. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. We will now go to the next question. And your next question comes from the line of Sarah Russo from Bernstein. Please go ahead. Hello, thanks for taking my question. So in, in your results package, you had indicated that you're seeing memory utilizations remaining on the low side, and but you're beginning to see some recovery in logic and sort of indicated a potential bottoming of, of, of the cycle later this year. Can you give us any more specifics on the utilization levels and trends across memory versus logic? Any different, like more specifics on the differences you're seeing across those end markets? Uh, no, I'm not going to give you precise utilization levels because they're all different for customers, but uh, it is bottoming out on uh, logic. That's what we've seen. I think we've already indicated that um, I think last quarter that we saw this very early first indication, I think that has continued. Yeah, so uh, which is good. Uh, but also, I think that you have need to look at that in the context of uh, what I said earlier that, you know, inventory levels downstream 
are normalizing and upstream they're still a bit elevated. Um, so this is in that context that that makes all sense. Uh, I think on memory, um, um, we, we, we don't see that, 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 that upturn you know, yet. Um, so we just um, have, to, have to look at uh, and, and just follow this closely uh, when that will you know, happen. But generally when we see this upturn in uh, logic, uh, somewhere down the line, uh, memory will follow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, logic working without memories is not uh, is is that uh, 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 you know does not make sense either. So um, it's probably a timing issue, <clears throat> but uh, we'll we'll follow it closely. And like I said, there are other indications. Um, you know, uh, also um, some uh, uh, articles that I just read last week uh, from Korea that for the first time in in uh, twelve months, you know, you see uh, NAND shipments going up, uh, you know, um, first indications of uh, DRM spot prices going up. Now, so th these are early indicators. So it, that's why our expectation is that, um, uh, you know, what we've seen for uh, logic now over the last three months will also follow in uh, memory. Great, thanks. And, and maybe just a, a follow-up uh, on, on the backlog topic. So, I mean, in the past, you've given us a sense for, for what share of the backlog is, is China demand, and, and it's, it's sort of, you know, a lot of 2022 orders led to the significant increase in China. Have you, have you seen that shift at all? It was sort of sitting around 20%. Is, is that shifted down now that you're able to, to ship more to China and meet more of those orders? Has that come down, or does that continue to remain in that range? No, I think it's the, I think it's the same. I think uh, we said uh, the China uh, part of our business this year could be over 20%. And yeah. I think it's about the same range for the backlog. Yeah. So uh, that has remained the same. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will now go to the next question. And your next question comes from the line of Francois Beauvignier from UBS. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. So two quick ones for me. The first one is on uh, maybe 2025. So you gave your market low and market high scenario at your capital market day. Yeah. And now looking at the you know current macro environment, I guess for many you know um, <clears throat> uh, people, it's uh, actually uh, we are more in a low market scenario at least today in terms of macro. Um, if we look at your guidance on 2025 and taking into account the geopolitical environment, should we lean towards the low end of your guidance in a way? I mean, it would still imply a significant recovery in 2025, but I just wanted to check if it's fair to assume, given the current um, utilization rate in the industry and, you know, the push out that you uh, also see on your side, yeah. if we should lean towards the low end. Um, of your guidance and have a quick follow-up. Well, I mean, um, let me explain the following. I think, you know, our industry is uh, cyclical when we're in a downturn, and the deeper the downturn is, the higher the upturn. And that's simply because the the underlying trend, the, the secular trend of the capacity that is needed to support all these transitions that we all talk about and we all believe in, if there's a downturn for whatever reason, it could be macro, that could be uh, uh, yeah, macroeconomic shocks. The, the deeper the downturn is, the higher the upturn. Uh, that has been. Uh, you just look at the at the at the 30-year um, 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 uh, 
you know, cyclical behavior of our industry. That's exactly what is always happening. And it makes sense because the underlying trend is there. Yeah? Now, having said that, uh, in my introductory comments, I, I, I actually had three reasons for um, uh, why we believe 2025 is going to be a very strong year. One is these secular trends. Well, they are there. And also, that actually will, it actually means that we need to build the capacity to support those trends. Uh, and and if, we do, if you don't build the capacity in 2023, 2024, and for memory, it's even started earlier, it started in mid-2022, then it will have to be there to support those secular trends, which we all believe in. Yeah, so, and, and also going back to that, that's number one. Number two, um, in answer to the previous question, it feels like, and also our customers are keep telling us, that they feel there's a thruff. We're in this thruff, or we're very close. Yeah? And that means they will see growth in 2024, you could argue about the slope of uh, the growth because of macroeconomic uncertainties, but they all tell us, please prepare for 2025. So they strongly believe that growing in 2024, uh, and, it will, and it will probably start you know, slow, but will accelerate into 2025. So they tell us, be ready. That's number two. Number three, if when you look at the number of new fabs that are being opened geographically, yeah? fab uh, uh, you know, extensions that will that will need machines in Europe, in the U.S., across Asia, yeah? then um, that is already, when we look at the demand, already more than 50% of our 2025 uh, forecasted demand is on new fabs for DPV and EUV. Um, so um, if you put it all together, also realizing that we actually look at 2024 and 25 uh, together. Why is that? Because our lead times are more than 12 months. Yeah, they're, they're, they're for, for EUV, they're a year and a half. So we need to have that very close connection with our customers. And we have these insights into these new FAB expansions, not so much where they're going to add capacity uh, for the existing FABs, because that's basically, that is, a, that, is a, uh, you know, that is a question of where the cycle is. But if you take those three things together, <clears throat> and then we look at the demand that we're currently discussing with our customers, then 2025 is a very strong year. And a very strong year doesn't jive with your low end of the guidance. So it's, it's again, it's the cyclical, cyclical nature of this industry. You know, we are now, let's take memory. We're, if, you, if 2024 is, is, is not a full recovery year, then memory is in a downturn of two and a half years. Now just look at it historically. You know, we're always followed by a, by a strong recovery. Uh, same is true for logic. And, and, and if you look at those building blocks, of those three building blocks, that gives us the, the, the you know, conviction at this moment in time that, 20, that 2025 is going to be a, is a, is a very strong year. But then we need to prepare 2024. We can simply not wait until, you know, first quarter 2025, and then, we, and, 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 and then we start accelerating because the supply chain won't be there. Our lead times are simply too long. So we have to prepare that also in the year 2024. That's why it's a uh, you know, transition year. We look at 2025 together. Why? Because the lead times of our tools and discussions with our customers uh, are actually supporting all of that. Sorry for the long Thanks. answer. No, 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 that's, uh, that's very clear. Thank you. And maybe as a follow-up, then, um, if we have a long lead times and strong recovery in 2025, the orders, I mean, this quarter has been... Uh, let's say uh, uh, quite low compared to many people expected. 
But if you yeah. expect a very strong year in 2025 and the lead times that you are describing, yeah. do we expect that to see in the order behavior in the first half of 2024? I mean, if we take into account our lead times, or how should we think about that? Because we should yeah, see absolutely. the of that, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that, that's absolutely true. You know, we're in Q3 of the, uh, 2023, and we have more than $35 billion in the, the backlog. If, if you're a customer, you, you can actually wait, you know, because they, they, they also see 2024 as a recovery year. Is it going to be Q3, Q4, Q1? Uh, so, 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 so when is that? So they will just wait because they don't need to have, it, have, they have the capacity. If they want the capacity, they can just call it off, yeah? So, um, but indeed, you are right. You know, if 2025 is the kind of strong year that we expect, then indeed, you know, you would have to see the order recovery in the first half of uh, 2024. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. We will now go to the next question. And your next question comes from the line of Rolf Bork from New Street Research. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you for taking my question. In your um, in your prepared remarks, you mentioned shifts in timing of of, um, of say your your Western customers, their demand profile. Could you give us a bit more detail on this? Are these pushouts primarily on the leading edge, or is it more trailing edge? And has this trend of pushouts increased in recent months? Yeah, I think um, when, you, when you think about trailing edge, I mean, uh, uh, we did not see push-outs from many of our trailing edge customers because many of them are in China. But even the ones that are not in China, because they are supplying the mature market, which, for instance, uh, supplies uh, the automotive industry and industrial IoT, um, they actually kept pretty, pretty, pretty strong. They, they were pretty healthy. So it is, it is more in, you could argue, the leading edge than it was in the mature area. And but don't forget, leading edge doesn't only need high-end DPV or needs high-end immersion. Uh, it only also needs, you know, mature. It needs KRF. It needs eyeline. So, uh, but if you want to split this, then the demand a shift was probably more in those areas where, which is logical, look at the end markets, you know, uh, you know smartphone sales. Yeah, uh, PCs. Uh, you know, this is the, the end markets were, and this is where the inventory was. So this is also the area where you see the demand shifts. Uh, but you know, healthy, or let's say relatively healthy, was more in the mature space. And in, and of course, you know, China, because we heavily under undershipped uh, these customers, which of course, with their orders in the order book and all, and, and most of them were to a large extent prepaid. Yeah, of course, we will we will ship those tools to them if. Others don't want them, and that's all mature. Thank you. It's very clear. Thank you. We will now go to our next question. And the next question comes from the line of Didier Sikamal, Bank of America. Please go ahead. Yeah, uh, good afternoon. It's Didier Sarama from Bank of America. Um, I have a couple of questions. First, I wanted to uh, to just uh, probe you a little bit again on, on 2025 revenue guide. I think you answered uh, pretty well. But I guess what I wanted to ask you is um, if 
we don't see those bookings coming through in the first half of 24. Is that, is that roughly in July 24 where you would consider changing that guidance or at least telling us that you would be towards the low end of that range or even below that? And I've got a follow-up. Thank you. Well, you by now know us, DJ, because we know each other for a long time. We just tell you how it is, how we see the world at the moment that we have this call. This is how we see the world. So if we see the world by, by Q1 of, of 2024 different, we will tell you. If we see it different by, by, by Q2 2024, we will tell you. So yeah, this is what we currently see, what we currently believe. If the world turns out to be com completely different, uh, better or worse, by the middle of 2024, we will tell you. And so I cannot, say, I cannot answer that question other than we'll just tell you how it is. No, it makes sense. Um, second part uh, on um, on China restrictions. Um, is there anything you can share with us with regards to the, uh, you know, the, the sort of tools that might not be allowed to be shipped to those fabs? I mean, should we consider the 1980 to be part of the banned tools for those particular fabs, but that you could ship it to other China customers, or is it too early to say at this stage? No, I think that that's probably not too early. Um, it is, it is as you indicate. So um, the, the the way we we read the rules now, and, and and of course you can you can imagine that that part of the regulation we've read pretty carefully, that um, the 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 principle is that in that that in principle uh, also the 1980s would fall under the export control restrictions, but only when uh, those immersion tools are used for advanced semiconductor manufacturing. And those advanced semiconductor manufacturing, we've been informed, only applies to a handful of fabs. Yeah? So that means that the 1980 for, that, for those handful of fabs is off limits, but not for the vast majority of our Chinese customers, for which we don't need an export control license either. We can just ship. Yeah? And those are for the mature uh, uh, and, 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 and lower mid-critical chips that are needed for all the transitions that I just mentioned. Yeah. So yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. Sorry. Uh, so that sorry, means sorry. that the majority of your immersion revenues next year in China will be uh, at least some of the 1980, but probably move to 1950, 1930 sort of things for the, the for those customers. No, no, because the 1980 is the low-end immersion tool, so the only export controls will be on the 1980s that go to a handful of fabs. Yeah? So, so it's not to the 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And for all the other customers, which are using those uh, chips for, 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 for non-advanced semiconductor manufacturing that is actually used for mid-critical, lower-mid-critical, mature applications where there are no uh, security concerns, yeah? and we can just ship those. Okay. And that's Brilliant. the, that's the vast majority of our business. Perfect. Thank you, Peter. Thanks. We will now go to our next question. And the next question comes from the line of Mehdi Husseini from Susquehanna. Please go ahead. Thank you. A um, couple of questions. Peter, I'm a little bit confused. Um, and I'm just going to focus on uh, lithography. I'm not going to ask you about WFV or where we are in the semiconductor cycle. When I look at the leading edge, um, we've had a couple of years of a, a slow start to three nanometer. As a matter of fact, the leading edge has 
been trending in half pitch. And um, I was hoping that by next year there will be uh, a bigger demand uh, for a leading edge among foundry and your larger customer. But what I get from you is um, probably EUV unit shipment is going to decline. And what I want to ask you or get clarification um, is this um, a kind of a pause as we insert a gate all around? Um, is this something that happened when we went from uh, planar to synthet and we're going to see the repeat of that next year um, and then that would impact your EUV shipment. Um, any thought around gate all around would be appreciated and I have a follow-up. You know, I think um, gate all around and the uh, notes associated with that are 2025-2026 high-volume ramps. Yeah. That will happen. Yeah. So that that so the pause of of or let's say the pause or a lower unit shipment of EUV next year is simply the cause of what we discussed earlier. I mean we're in a cyclical downturn, and there are end markets that don't need that full capacity. So this is the reason. The R and D roadmaps are very much intact. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, sure. our leading customers keep telling us this. Yeah. So. Um, I would not expect, I would even even say, if you would see the, the, the HVM volume ramp yeah, on, on, on the, 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 the uh, gate all around architecture, it's just the reason, one of the reasons why I think 2025, 2026 is going to be a good year. It's a very strong year. Yeah? But everything that we see today has got nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do with the roadmap. It's got, just got to do with the fact that we... Uh, in a down cycle, and we're, and we're climbing out of the down cycle, whereby the you know capacity utilization also at the leading edge is of course not at 100 percent. No, you just have to grow into it. It's got to happen. That's just the cycle. Now, one difference this time compared to when we migrated to synthet is DRAM adoption of insertion of higher EUV layer counts for DRAM. If I were to go back to your 2022 and 2021 analyst day, um, you highlighted the fact that more than 30% of EUV demand by 2025 is going to be driven by DRAM. Is that still the case and could that make the EUV recovery much stronger um, with or without the adverse impact of uh, transistor change? Yeah, I think that, that's absolutely true. But I, I still believe that uh, a percentage is 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 still valid. But you know, but 20, like I said, it is not today. But this is because we are where we are in the in 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 in, in the economic cycle. Yeah. So I think nothing has changed in in uh, that sense. And you could even argue because they have quote unquote underinvested in 23, 24. You know, that will definitely be an, an, an you know, additional driver on top of the you know, roadmap insertion points that haven't changed. Yeah? So, so right. yes, I mean, I would expect that to, to, to be the case in 2025, yes. We just have to wait for the first half of 24 to see that in your booking. Yeah, yeah. And that, and, you know, and, and that is, is, is basically also, I said it before, you know, it's, why we are conservative on on 2024? Because there are macroeconomic uncertainties, yeah, and and our and our customers are closely watching this also. They're watching these these uh, inflection point trends. I mean, this is what we will also follow with them. You know, they have a better view of inventories. Um, 
we have a better view of, of utilization. Uh, we have a better view of, of other things that happen in the Fed. We need to look at those inflection points and saying, okay, th that means the thrust, but then what will be the slope of the recovery? And that's basically your macro call. Thank you. Thank you. We will now go to the next question. And your next question comes from the line of Sandeep Deshpande from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Thanks for letting me on. Uh, Peter, I mean, uh, with response to an earlier question, you talked about, uh, you know, that you will start seeing this order recovery potentially in 2024, which will help your 2025. Uh, but given that at this point, what you see into 2024, uh, the demand is not as much as your capacity, particularly in EUV, uh, would you pre-build? Because, I mean, your tools don't have any obsolescence risk. This is my first question and I have one quick follow-up. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we are very, also our, our customers keep telling us this, you know, this is not that we in perfect isolation on the 20th floor in a town called Veldhoven think about this. It's because our customers also show us what they need and, and why. So and this is the 2025 we think is very real. So that means we need to pre-build, yeah, so you will see that in our working capital and the working capital of our suppliers, you know, and, and if, if things change a bit faster, we'll actually need that in the back half of uh, 2024. So we need to prepare ourselves. But you're absolutely right, yeah, because otherwise we won't be able to react. And then we're in a, and then we're in a super crisis in uh, 2025 because we can't make the tools that our customers want. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, uh, thanks, uh, Peter. And then, uh, in terms of a follow-up for Roger, I mean, uh, next year, is, if you're looking at a flattish year, I mean, you must have had a, a, a spending plan on your OPEX for next year, whether it's R&D or SG&A. Are you going to continue with that plan, given that, you know, the environment has, is different from when you built that plan, or are you going to continue spending as you would normally have done, uh, and thus there is an earnings impact next year in a flattish year, because, you know, you've got an upward trajectory on your expenses. Yes, and Sandeep, so obviously in, in the current environment, we are uh, frugal, right, as, as, you, as you might expect us to, uh, to do. So we're, we're definitely controlling our, uh, our FG&A expense there. On the R&D side, uh, you know, that's long term. Uh, and I think we would be ill-advised to now go cut our R&D roadmap, and that's not what we're doing, right? So, uh, so we are, you know, continuing to, uh, to, to, uh, to execute on the R&D roadmap. You might have seen that, you know, that uh, on the hiring of people, we slowed down a little bit this year. So part of that is uh, is in response to uh, to what I just mentioned on FG&A. It's also in response to the fact that in 2022 we hired uh, 10,000 people. So on on the 40, 42,000 people that we have today, that's massive. So obviously you want a certain level of absorption to happen there, and that's exactly what we're doing, right? Making sure that uh, people are well absorbed, that the growth also on the on the R&D headcount is is nicely absorbed. So that's why you see this slowing down a little bit on uh, on on hiring uh, hiring people. But no, I mean, we, we continue to push down the accelerator on the R&D front because, you know, the opportunity is significant. And in order for us to achieve the growth trajectory that we've talked about in 25 and 2030, we simply need to do that. So, yes, we will be frugal. No, we're not going to cut back on our R&D uh, roadmap. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll now go to the next question. 
And your next question comes from the line of Janardan Menon from Jefferies. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I just uh, wanted to go back to the question of, of, of the backlog. Uh, you, you do have a, a sizable backlog of, um, of over 35 billion um, and over 19 billion on the UV side. Um, so just referring to a previous question on push-outs, you know, do you do you see a, a risk? I mean, if you were to look out into 2024, especially on your EUV side, is is your uncertainty uh, more on do you get any pushouts on the existing backlog, uh, or is it a question of how many orders? Uh, you can take in Q4 for shipment into 2024. My question is more: You've said that it's, uh, you know, that you've suggested that there's some conservatism in that, uh, and I'm just wondering where uh, the risk or the upside could come from. Is it, uh, is it more that there could be a risk of pushouts, or is it just the amount of orders you could take in Q4? Thanks. Yeah, I think it's a good question, Janan. Uh, um, you know. The the way that we look at this is, is um, we look one. Of course, we are close contact with our customers, and we and we are um, uh, discussing uh, 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 in depth with them what they really need. But what they really need is also a function of where they are and what they see that they need going forward. And of course, where they are is they're 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 in a uh, they're in a clear. All, all, nearly all of them are in in a down cycle where they feel it. It's about the the thrust, or, or we, we might be seeing the inflection points that, that will take us out of the thrust. Um, so if you then think about the psychology of the customer and they, they look forward and they see these inflection points towards the end of the year changing positively, that means they will grow in, in you know, 2024. That means what we discuss with them now as the, you could say, the minimum scenario um, if, if everything happens the way that we think in terms of the inflection points, they will see growth, then I think this will be it. You know, but that, of course, is, that is um, under the, in, in their current mind, they don't give us a lot of orders. So their, their current mind is we have what we have. Um, we look forward to what we need as a minimum in uh, 2024. Um, they better tell us, they tell us you better prepare us for 2025. But that minimum in uh, 2024 is what we call the conservative view because you know, uh, you could you could have a more positive view and say, well, it will turn in this in the second half of uh, 2024. We don't have any indication that it's going to be that soon. So this minimum position that they see is what they have discussed with us. And seeing those inflection points, I think there is little risk to the downside. Uh, to answer your question, um, now could there be uh, could there be an opportunity to the upside that would effectively mean that what we see in 2025 for reasons of a faster recovery in the cycle would be pulled in into the back half of 2024. That could be, that could be an upside. Yeah? But this is where we are. This is where our thinking is. This is where our thinking of our customers is. And this is how we reflect on, on, on our uh, uh, you know, view of uh, you know, 2024. Understood. And just a small follow-up on China. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, the, as you as you referred to the 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 official regulations coming out of the U.S. government yesterday. Um, if you look at the Chuck overlay uh, numbers of 2.4 nanometer, it it seems to capture uh, the 1980 as well. Um, and and what you're saying is uh, that. 
you know, because it's uh, uh, only the advanced uh, manufacturing facilities will be covered by that, and that's a handful. Uh, but do you think that that could be a moving target through the course of the year? I mean, could you could new fabs continuously be added to that, or you know, taken away from that? So does that sort of cloud the overall visibility on where China could actually end up, just from a geopolitical standpoint, over the next 12 months? Well, I think that 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 last where the geopolitical confrontation would end up is a, is a, is a, is a billion dollar question, I suppose. But um, no, I think basically two answers. One, what the, how the regulations are currently structured is like the Japanese have also done this, the same thing. They basically say <coughs> all immersion, but export controls will only apply to advanced manufacturing, which is only those five fabs. Now. Could that grow? Yes, um, <coughs> but that that has always been there. You know that particular risk in terms of export controls being enlarged to what it is today. That's a risk that we've always had. You know? So that is basically a function of uh, what you ended your question with: is how the uh, geopolitical escalation will happen going forward. We don't know. I mean, we just have to live with what the regulation is today. And you need to realize that this regulation, which is an amalgamation, a consolidation of the October 7 proposal of last year with the trilateral agreement uh, between the Dutch, the Japanese, and the Americans, has led to this situation of this handful of fats. So 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 this, this is also the result of, uh, you could say, in-depth discussions, multilateral discussions between governments. Now, I don't say that that's never going to change, but that's what you need to, that's what you need to consider also. So we are where we are. I don't have a crystal ball to predict where geopolitics will go and, and how it will escalate, uh, but we need to work from where we are, and I can assure you that the results that currently on the table in terms of regulation are the result of very deep discussions between governments that are not just on, on, a, on a lazy Sunday afternoon uh, uh, you know, being prepared. This is, this is very deep. So yes, it can change, but then also I think the geopolitical situation uh, first needs to change. And then, you know, yeah, of course, you know, like I said, I don't have a crystal ball. And Gennaro, a, a final element in the, in the conversation, uh, building on what, what Peter was just saying, uh, and he said it before. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the, the regulation really aims at advanced semiconductor manufacturing. And yeah. I think you simply have to recognize that most of the Chinese customers have gotten the message already last year. And as a result of that, have really shifted to what we call mid-critical mm-hmm. and mature manufacturing. That's what you see them do. So as Absolutely. a result of that, I would say the number of fabs that are still involved a number of our customers and fabs that are still involved in, in, uh, in advanced manufacturing have gone down dramatically. Uh, and as a result of that, we can now talk about a handful of uh, fabs that are associated with that. So yeah. if that's the objective, you know, that, that, then that is completely in line with what now has been achieved. And, you know, and that's a good point, uh, you know, Roger. When we do the, the roadmap discussions with our Chinese customers, they all moved back, not forward. They all moved back. And they do that because what I was an answer to in previous question, because if you look at the demand for mid-critical, low mid-critical and mature semiconductors, and you look at the 
significant transitions that also China is going through, and where in, in many areas they're leading, where it's electrical vehicles, or where it's the energy transition, the, the square inches of silicon that is needed to support that are massive. So they actually need to build that capacity, which, by the way, they're not going to be self-sufficient because the demand, the local demand, is simply too high. I mean, but they will be more self-sufficient, but not fully. Yeah? And so, so there's, there's, there's no downside for our Chinese customers to actually move their roadmap in that direction. Understood. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you all. We are now at the end of the hour. So if you are unable to get through on this call and still have questions, please feel free to contact ASML Investor Relations Department with your questions. Now, on behalf of ASML, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. Operator, if you could formally conclude the call, I'd appreciate it. Thank you.